Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. You can turn with me to Acts chapter 8, where the title of the message is The Gospel of Power. And we're in an amazing season in the life of the church where we're seeing record numbers of people. And I say this, if you're new, again, I'm sensitive to this. People that are around here kind of know how we roll. But if we're talking about what God's doing, it's because he's the one doing it. Therefore, he's the one who gets all the praise. But I think it's important for us to constantly be reminded of the grace that we're experiencing with record salvations, record baptisms, people getting filled with the Spirit, people getting healed. It's, it's just absolutely remarkable. And it's what makes Acts chapter 8 so very relevant for us today. I want to start by just reminding us what we read in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, where Jesus said, but you will receive power. That word is dunamis in the Greek. We get our word dynamite from it. And that word is translated, dunamis is translated 10 times in the book of Acts. Twice it has to do with power to speak boldly. Eight times it has to do with miraculous power supernatural power, miracle-working power, mighty power. Jesus said, you'll receive that kind of power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as we've been studying the book of Acts, we've been watching that happen as they actually were witnessing. They were telling people about Jesus. And the fact of the matter is, when you and I tell people about Jesus, people will be drawn to Jesus. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. When you and I lift Jesus up, we're going to draw men and women, boys and girls to him, because we're not the one who plants faith in their heart. He is. And so when you read the book of Acts, you watch this happen. It's really amazing. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So they start with the church of 3,000. They start with a mega church. Listen, it's not about the size of the church, but some people are more comfortable with a smaller church, which is great. But the first church was a mega church. I just say that because sometimes people kind of are like, ah, oh, the church is too big. First church, really big. And it got bigger, right? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Every day, people getting saved. Every day, people being added to the church. Chapter 4, verse 4. But many who heard the message believed. Listen, when people hear the gospel, they're going to believe. Why? That's the way God set it up. But how can they hear, Romans 10 says, unless somebody speaks it? How will your neighbors hear? How will your coworkers hear? How will the people you meet hear? Unless you tell them. So many who heard the message believed. And the number of men, aside from women and children, grew to about 5,000. Then we read in Acts chapter 5, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Acts chapter 6, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. So the church was growing and the message covered all of Jerusalem and in into Judea. 
And now we come to that part where it says, Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria. Now we're at that place where the word of God's gonna spread into Samaria, Acts chapter eight. So we look at the first eight verses, we're going to see why that happened, we're going to see how it happened, and we're gonna see what happened. So number one, why it happened, and in a word, persecution. Nobody wants to hear about persecution. None of us wanna hear that if we go and share the gospel, there are gonna be some people who are gonna be angry. If we go and share the gospel, it could have negative consequences for us. But Jesus said, in this world, you'll have what? Persecution. Paul said, 2 Timothy chapter three, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You wanna live a godly life? You wanna serve the Lord? There are gonna be people who are not gonna like it. But we have to be willing to stand for the Lord. There's never been a day where Christians needed to have a backbone. I'm not talking about being belligerent. I'm not talking about being obnoxious. I'm talking about being resolute and being ready to give an answer for our faith. To explain to people what the gospel is. Here's the church, and they're standing up for the Lord, and all of a sudden persecution comes to the church. The central figure in this is a man that we meet in Acts chapter eight and verse one. His name is Saul. We're gonna follow him later and see him meet Jesus. Saul's gonna meet Jesus. Right now, he doesn't know Jesus, which should be a great encouragement to every single person. There are some people you're gonna meet and you're gonna think they would never get saved. They would never have an interest. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. And then they're gonna meet Jesus and they're gonna give their life to following him. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And Saul is the classic example of that. What's also interesting about Saul is this is his Hebrew name, but when you get to Acts chapter 13, it starts referring to him by his Greek name. So Saul in the Hebrew is Paul in the Greek, and the Paul we're talking about is the one who's gonna become the Apostle Paul. He's gonna write a third of the New Testament. So like this is crazy to see him in his pre-conversion, pre-Christ days. Saul was one of the witnesses to Stephen's martyrdom as they killed him, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. This is really a postscript to what we have in Acts chapter seven. In fact, look at it, Acts 7:58. His accusers, that's Stephen's accusers, took off their coats, laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul, which basically tells us he's the ringleader. So Stephen has been condemned, they push him off a, a 10-foot ledge. He falls on the ground. They take off their cloaks so they can throw rocks at his head and kill him. And Saul is sitting there saying, right on, you got what you deserve because Saul hates Christians. In fact, read this, Acts chapter eight, verse one. It says, a great wave of persecution began that day sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere 
to destroy the church. That word destroy is used in secular Greek of a, of a wild boar destroying a vineyard. It, it's the idea of just t savagely tearing a body apart. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women. Scholars say this inclusion of women is almost unheard of even in Roman times. Usually men were arrested, women were left alone, but that's not enough for Saul. This guy is violent. This guy is brutal. This guy is, is in really a lot of ways, and commentators will say this, almost sadistic. He's throwing them in prison. He is tearing them apart. In fact, Acts chapter 26, verse 10, Paul, this is his testimony now. He's looking back and he's telling his story. I came to Christ. He says, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. So they're sent to prison, their property seized, they're condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. Can you imagine that? I was so violently opposed to them, I even chased them down in foreign cities. I mean, the idea is he tortures them so they'll denounce Christ. He's a violent person. He's a bully. He gets pleasure out of seeing people hurt. That's Saul. That's the persecution. And I would say this to you. I, I, I believe that as we watch people come to Christ in the, in the end times, there will be simultaneously a great end gathering and there will be a great persecution of the church. And we're watching it in our society. There's, there's rumblings of it. And, and is, if the Lord tarries, there's going to be more persecution. That's what makes this so instructive. Because sometimes we can have the idea, if there's persecution happening, it's like, what? Are we losing the battle? Or what's going on? But the fact of the matter is, when you watch what happens in Acts 8, you see that God is working through it. Look at it in Acts 8, 1 again. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. So what happens is the apostles and probably the Jewish people who had lived in Jerusalem, they stay there. They're viewed more as being more true to that, to the traditions of Judaism. All of the Greek-speaking Jews like Stephen, the people from different parts of the Roman world who'd come to Jerusalem and now were, had heard the gospel and were a part of the church. They're the ones who are scattering and they go to the regions of Judea and Samaria. I mean, and it seems like such a, a tragedy. It seems like such a waste, but the Holy Spirit loves to take tragedies and turn them into victories. And he loves to change people's lives. I mean, here's what's so cool to think about. Here's Paul. He's persecuting the church, which causes the church to scatter. And as the church scatters, there's going to be people that are going to go to Samaria and witness there. There's other people who are going to go to a place called Antioch. They're going to establish a church there. And there's going to come a day when Paul is going to attend that church and be called to be a missionary. His persecution is actually setting up his missionary calling. You see, God is at work in all things. 
We don't have to be afraid of persecution. We just need to know that in the middle of it, God is working powerfully. And here's Satan. He's trying to stomp out the church like he's putting out a fire, but what it does, it simply spreads the embers so that now the church grows like never before. Why did it happen? Persecution. How did it happen? How did the church grow? Personal evangelism. Look at it, Acts chapter eight, verse four. But the believers who were scattered. So now all of a sudden, they're going everywhere. You know, I read that, and, and that doesn't seem very intentional, does it? It seems accidental. It seems, it, it just seems chaotic. And yet, in the middle of the chaos, God is at work. Maybe today in your life, you're going through a season that's especially chaotic. Nothing makes sense. The things you planned aren't working out. And you're wondering why and what is God doing and why would God allow that to happen? And this is a reminder that when it seems things are chaotic, God is still at work. We'll never understand everything he's doing or why he's doing it until we look back and watch what he did and we're like, wow, what a God you are. But if you're going through chaos right now, just know this, if you're a child of God, his hand is on you, he's watching over you, and he's the God who works all things together for the good of those who love him, right? Acts chapter eight, verse four, it says, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news, that's the gospel, about Jesus, wherever they went. I love that because it tells us even though there's persecution, they're not saying, well, if we're gonna be persecuted, we need to stop. I mean, look what happened to Stephen. We don't want that to happen. No, they're like, you know what? This good news is so good that everybody ought to have an opportunity to hear it. It is an indicator of how well we understand the good news of the gospel by whether we'll share it or not. If you can keep it to yourself, you obviously don't understand how good a news it is. I mean, it's an indicator of how powerful we think it is by how willing we are to share it. Because Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation or the deliverance of everyone who believes, Romans chapter 1. I mean, they're taking it everywhere they go to everyone they meet. They don't think there's, they just think that there isn't anyone who shouldn't have the opportunity to hear the gospel. You know, a lot of times we're looking for the right person to share it with. Can I just tell you, there isn't a wrong person to share it with. You don't have to look for the right person, just share it with every person because we're too easily fooled by the facade of people. And we think, well, they'd never be interested or she, maybe she would, but not him, but uh, she might, no, 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 not her. I mean, we're, we're trying to evaluate people's openness and receptivity. And again, I think there's a place for being sensitive, but not if it keeps us from sharing Christ. People need to hear, people need to know. 
Who are you sharing Christ with? You know, I realize even as I'm saying that right now, there's people that come to your mind. You know what I believe that is? That's the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, reminding you, I want you to go to them. And my encouragement to you is go and watch what God will do. Because as they were scattered, as they went, as they talked in the most unlikely places to the most unlikely people, there were people that were getting saved. It's really amazing. And then a third thing I want you to notice, we looked at the why it happened, persecution. We've looked at the how it happened, personal evangelism, personally talking about Jesus everywhere they go. Then what happened? And this is amazing, it's power on display. In verse five, we meet Philip. Philip, for example. So what Luke is saying here is he's saying, as people are scattered, let me just tell you about somebody. Philip is not a preacher. Philip is a member of the congregation and the Bible tells us some about him. We learned some in Acts chapter six. He was a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. It's a guy who's been filled with the Spirit. This is a guy who's on fire in his faith. This is a guy who loves to serve. He's one of the seven selected to serve in distributing benevolence to the Greek-speaking widows who are a part of the church. Philip, facing persecution, is one of those who's scattered. But Philip doesn't say, well, you know, if I keep talking about the gospel, it's not gonna go well for me and I don't wanna be persecuted because I got a wife, I got a kids, I gotta think about them. No, Philip says, I'm gonna talk about Jesus everywhere I go because everybody ought to hear about him. We learn about Philip a little more, just we'll come back to this in a moment. In Acts chapter 21 and verse eight, Luke talks about staying at the home of Philip, and now he's called the evangelist, and you'll see why as we go through the book of Acts, because he's talking about Jesus everywhere he goes, and they just finally decide to say, you know what, you are evangelizing people all the time. He is one of the seven who had been chosen to distribute food. He had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. Now back to Acts. 8 verse 5. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria. We don't know which city. Scholars are divided. It could be the capital of Samaria at that time known as Sebast. Um, we're not sure. It's a, it's a city in Samaria he goes to. And he told the people there about the Messiah. What's interesting about this is Philip is Jewish. The place he's going there, Samaritans, and we know from the Gospels that when Jesus met the woman at the well in Samaria, she said, how is it that you being a Jew are talking to me, asking me for something because Jews don't have anything to do with Samaritans? You remember when Jesus was gonna enter a village with the disciples and the people didn't want him to come in because he was Jewish. And, the, and James and John, who, Peter, or who Jesus called sons of thunder, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire right now in that village? I mean, we could do it right now. And Jesus is like, would you guys get a hold of yourself? <laughs> I mean, that's the animosity that exists there. 
Where did the Samaritans come from? Well, if you're familiar with the history of the Jewish people, you know there was a civil war and the nation of Israel divided into a southern kingdom called the kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom was called the kingdom of Israel. And what happened in 740 BC, the Assyrians invaded the northern kingdom, Israel. They deported the people, moved them up in the land of the north. They brought people from the north and brought them down into the land of Israel. And the remaining people of Israel intermarried with the pagan people, and the result was the Samaritans. The Samaritans decided that the, the place to worship was in Samaria on a mountain called Gerizim. They had their own priesthood. They only accepted the first five books of the Bible as being of the Old Testament, as being uh, inspired, and their understanding of serving the true God was convoluted. Jesus mentions that in John chapter four. So here's Philip, he's scattered, and he goes to a place where people aren't on the surface going to be receptive at all. That should speak to every single one of us because at times what happens is we're looking for the sinner on a silver platter. We're looking for the person who just looks ready to receive Christ. And then we have a tendency to look at the facade of other people and say, well, they don't look ready. When in fact, even though they don't look ready, they may be very ready to receive Christ. The question here is, how is a Jewish person going to reach Samaritan people with that animosity? How is he even going to get them to listen to the message of the gospel? And this is very instructive for you and for me. He's gonna do it with signs and wonders. Look at it in verse six. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs that he did. I mean, how does he get a hearing? He goes in and starts praying for people. How are you and I gonna get a hearing for the gospel? Well, it's gonna be as simple as seeing people who need prayer and praying for them and watching God do a miracle. I mean, this is, you know, hey, I, I praise God for what's happening here in the, in the confines of our auditoriums at James River and people watching online and the services, it's wonderful. But at some point, it's gotta move from here to out there. At some point, we can't just be content with people. Does God heal people here? Yes. But at some point, it's gotta move from God healing in here to healing in here and healing out there. And here's how that happens. It happens when you and I, full of the Holy Spirit, see somebody and we say, I'm gonna pray for them. Where we spend time with the Lord and we say, God, is there somebody today you want me to pray for? This week I was doing a couple of radio interviews. I did one in the first part of the day and one later in the day. And when I was praying that morning, just, you know, get my heart prepared before I would go over and do those, I felt like the Lord said, you're going to see somebody in the lobby at the radio station who's obviously going to need prayer. And so when you see them, I want you to go up to them, pray for them, I'm going to heal them. So I go to the first, I go to the first um, uh, time and uh, 
nobody's there. I mean, it's empty. I mean, it's, I brought them all St. George's Donuts and the DJ got them all. So um, <laughs> nobody was there. So um, then I go to the second, the second interview later in the day and I've, I'm looking around when I walk in, I'm waiting to go on air and, and uh, nobody's there. But when I come out right away, there's a person who has things over his eye and you could tell at one point had him over both eyes, but had him over one eye. So I went up and just started talking to him. And I asked, well, what's, what's with this? And, and uh, he says, I have a torn retina. And I said, oh, wow. I said, can I pray for you? I said, I'm going to ask Jesus to heal you right now. And so we prayed. He was happy to let me pray for him. And he said, you know, I've got a doctor's appointment later. And I said, well, call the church and tell me what happened because I want to hear how God's healed you. Listen, that's how you begin to engage somebody. That led to a conversation then about the Lord. Listen, everywhere we go, we need to be open to sharing Christ with people by praying for people. But honestly, if, if you're not spending time with the Lord, if you're not even thinking about it, if you don't, if, you, if, you, if you've not walked with him at least close enough that you sense his hand is on your life, it will be a bit intimidating for you to pray. However, that being said, I would still say, step out in faith. Believe God's going to do something, right? <laughs> Miracles open the door for the gospel. Yeah. Now, I want you to understand something. This is how it was throughout the New Testament era. So what has happened to the church, unfortunately, and when I say church, I'm talking about church in a greater sense than James River, is we have relied on the ability of gifted men and women to share the gospel with people, primarily for people to come to know Jesus. And while there's nothing wrong with that, it is substantially less than God intended it to be. Reaching people for Christ is not just the domain of a person behind a pulpit. It's intended by the Lord to be something that believers do regularly everywhere they go. And he hasn't sent us out on our own. He has sent us out with the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to pray for people and to see people healed, right? I mean, in Matthew chapter 16, or Mark chapter 16 and verse 20, then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word. How? By signs that accompanied it. I mean, prayer is a game changer. And there are some people who say, I don't want prayer, but most people will take prayer. Especially if they're up against it. If they've got something that is greater than a doctor can resolve, they're going to they're gonna want prayer. And when you read through the New Testament, you see this is how the gospel advanced. I'm afraid that we have taken and done a revisionist history of the spread of the gospel and said, well, it, it advanced through compassion ministry. Now listen, I love compassion ministry. Please, if you work with the compassion agency, we are for it. We support it in a big way. But I'm just saying, when you look at the Bible, that was not the primary way. Were they compassionate? Yes. Did they meet needs? Yes. 
How did the gospel spread? I mean, let's, let's do the Bible thing, right? It spread when they spoke the words, the word of the Lord, and they prayed for people and they were healed. Now watch this. I'm just going to show you real quick. Acts 14, verse 3. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. Next scripture, Romans 15, 18. This is Paul saying, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. And we're not talking about, while well, there's a value in living a godly life and the example and the testimony of that, which is powerful. I'm not diminishing that. I'm just saying, when he's talking about what he did, what he did was this, by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, he's giving us an example so we understand, here's how the gospel is designed to spread. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, My message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. That's what happens when God demonstrates his power through signs and wonders. Instantly, people say, well, this is more than a person's opinion. This is the finger of God. Paul says this in, in chapter 4 and verse 20. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Honestly, just my opinion, we've come to a place where we've said the kingdom of God is a matter of talk. Talk, 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 talk. And very little power. Paul says, it's not a matter of talk, it's a matter of power. Power in what we do, powerful lives, power to lay hands on the sick and see them healed. Listen, this is the gospel, this is the New Testament, and it's everywhere. Galatians 3 and verse 3. Are you so foolish, he's writing to Galatians, after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Are you really going to think you can do it all by yourself? They began with the Spirit. What was that like? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? It happens by faith. And when you believe, God does miracles. That's what he's saying there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5. I mean, you get the idea. This is all over the Bible. We're not even reading the narrative of Acts, which is going to continue to tell us one miracle after another. I'm just simply saying this is how it goes through the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, our gospel came to you not simply with words. Paul says, I didn't talk people to death. He says, I told them the gospel, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. There was a power that was demonstrated through signs and wonders. I mean, some of the greatest Tools God has given us for evangelism are the gifts of healing, one of the gifts of the Spirit. But that becomes very difficult if you're not full of the Spirit. Now listen, I realize some people, if you're not from that background, you're like, what in the world? Is that all you talk about? It's all I talk about right now because it's all the book of Acts talks about. And it's all I'm talking about because it's something everybody needs. Just straight up, it's what everybody needs. It's for you. And when you experience that, it will revolutionize your life. 
and it will enable you to do this. I'm not saying a person who's not filled with the Spirit can't be used by God to pray for people and have prayer answered and see wonderful things happen, including healing. I'm just saying it happens more often, more readily, more frequently with people who are filled with the Spirit. Here's Philip, full of the Holy Spirit. He goes to a, an environment that is not interested in hearing what he has to say until they see what he does by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at it, so cool. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and to see the miraculous signs he did. You say, what were they? Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. I mean, people are getting, out, getting up and walking who couldn't. So there was great joy in that city. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. So they're, they're, they're seeing the power of God. They're saying, this has to be true. This, what he's saying has to be true. They put their faith in the Lord. They are baptized. Then Simon, you say, who is he? This is a magician who's been fooling the people with his own demonstrations of magic. He himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by what? The signs and great miracles Philip performed. I mean, even a guy who has trafficked some in either fraudulent displays of power or possibly demonic displays of power. He watches and he says, this is unbelievable. Listen, all of this is written down for our encouragement and it's written down to say, this is how, this is how the spread of the gospel works. And we're in a season where we're seeing God do so many amazing, amazing miracles. We're watching God work in such power. We're watching God heal people. I mean, we've told several testimonies. Let me just give you a few more today of some of what God is doing. Wendy writes, over the past 10 years, I've had an um, increasing multiple migraines per day with the side effects worsening um, during our staff prayer meeting. So we pray on Wednesdays. We just get in here at 11.30 to 12.30 and pray. Um, a pastor got up on stage, had a word of knowledge. I knew before he even started talking, he was going, what he's going to say in the word of knowledge is for me. He said a woman was here who'd been dealing with migraines for many years. The Lord wanted to heal her. Even before I raised my arm, several people came to pray over me and said, that's you. Um, during that time, the Lord kept impressing on my heart freedom. I'm now free from migraines and haven't had one since I received the healing in the beginning of the spring. Here's Karen. She says, my first episode of vertigo due to Meniere's disease. For those who are new, listen, every day I get testimonies. So every day. I got up this morning. Last night, somebody sent me an email that said, here's the testimonies from Saturday. Tonight, somebody will send an email and say, here are the testimonies from Sunday. So every day, and I can get, it can be as many as six or seven testimonies a day. I mean, amazing things that God is doing. So these are fresh off the press, okay? 
My first episode of vertigo due to Meniere's disease began in 2001. My episodes would last for six hours, beginning with dizziness, nausea, headache, and then ending with sleep. At first it was once a year, then every six months, then monthly, then weekly. Got to the point where my coworkers would sometimes have to drive me home from work. I had fears I would not be able to keep my employment. Uh, additionally, coming home from church, I would sometimes have to pull over to the side of the road due to the episodes. Uh, she started taking medicine, which abated the episodes, but then the medicine began to no longer work. She said, I fasted and prayed, believing God wanted to do a miracle in my life. After prayer times on Sundays and Wednesdays, I felt impressed to stop the medicine. The medicine had stopped working, so I decided to believe God to reveal His miracle healing in my body. It has now been weeks since I've had a vertigo episode. God has healed me. That's really amazing. Here's another, in 2016, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. The doctors gave me no hope that I would get better. They said they could help control some symptoms and the pain, but it would ultimately get worse. I've gone down for prayer service after service, believing God would heal me. After years of praying, I finally got off my meds. The doctor said he must have misdiagnosed my problem because there's no other way to explain this. I say, no, God has healed me. Isn't that awesome? Just one more, I would tell you, last Sunday, Debbie and I were at a, at a high school reception for some high school graduates. And um, while we were there, there was an individual, we were both busy kind of covering the room, and there was an individual who told her, hey, listen, uh, if you don't mind telling Pastor, I have been diagnosed, uh, they'll finalize it this week, ALS, and they've given me a year to live, and um, if you just ask Pastor if he'd do my funeral, and so uh, we got in the car, we were talking about that. Wednesday night, there was a word from the Lord. Hannah Cartwright got up and gave it about somebody gotten a, a um, death notice from the doctor, I think, something like that is the way she said it, bad news. A death sentence. And if that's you, stand up. Three people stood up. One of them was this individual. He stood up, I saw him stand up. He went to the doctor the next day where they were going to finalize everything. The doctor said, you know what, I don't, I don't understand it, but you do not have ALS. So that's pretty amazing. Come on, let's thank the Lord. Would you do that? Lord, we thank you.